Good morning, Real Life Church. If someone wouldn't mind just sticking their head in the goldfish bowl, oh, you've done it already. Well done, thank you. I would hate for them to miss the beginning of me, because usually the beginning is, you know, the best bit. So, <laughs> good morning, Real Life Church. If we haven't met yet, my name is Melanie, and I'm married to Stuart, and together we moved here nine years ago to start Real Life Church, and it is our absolute pleasure and privilege to be allowed to do what we do. So I spend majority of my week um, looking after a home and a family and a husband. You can imagine that's quite a lot of work, and um, I work part-time for this church, and I volunteer in, in the school my boys are a part of. So um, I, I lead a very full and lovely life. My job in church, I look after the young, so I look after the under-18s, and I look after what we do in the community, which I love both aspects of my job. And from time to time, I'm allowed to preach, which is very exciting. So this morning, if you've got a Bible with you, you're going to want to have it open in Daniel. And I'm going to read a story just from the start of Daniel. Um, And I just want to bring to you my kind of sense in what I think God is saying to Real Life Church. Um, I wonder this morning if you like your name. And that might seem like a really funny thing to say. Do you like your name? And some people really like their name. And some people feel like they were saddled with a name or that your name has with it some things where people have maybe ridiculed you or maybe um, laughed at you about your name or maybe your name has been associated with taunting or bullying. Or, so everyone feels differently about their name. Sometimes people have a name that everyone shortens. So I'm a Melanie. And it doesn't matter how many times I introduce myself as Melanie, most people say, oh, hi, Mel, great to meet you. And and it always makes me smile. I prefer Melanie, but I will answer to almost anything. Um, And so my brothers call me Melly. My dad calls me Molly. So um, I I have lots of, of pet names, but I wonder if you like your name. My Asha, our Asha, is called Asher Daniel Crane. Um, and Asher is a Jewish name. It means happy or blessed, um, which we were so happy and blessed when he came along. Daniel is a Hebrew name, and it means God is my judge or God is judge. And then Crane is derived from a nickname, which means tall and long-legged or long-legged, which um, uh, I thought, Stuart's always said that to me. I thought he was joking. So when I Googled it, I said, no, it is actually derived from a nickname that goes back in time that meant tall and long-legged. So Asher is happy and blessed. God is his judge, and he is tall and long-legged. He is very long as a baby, so that's great. I wonder if there are any Daniels in the room. So you might be a Danny a Danielle, a Dan, or a Daniel. I wonder if there are any in the room. So if you have that name, will you just wave at me? Okay, just you, Danny. Good. I like that. Danny, will you just stand for me a second? 
So, Danny, I just, I felt when I was prepping my message, I felt like God had something specifically to say to Daniels, Dannys, Daniels. And, and so I just, I just want to encourage you and prophesy over you if that's okay. I felt that God wanted to say that there were some things associated with your name that he wanted to restore um, that he wanted to come face to face with you and wanted to, this morning, just call you again and wanted you to hear his voice, wanted you to know that your name carries significance, that he is judge, but he is your judge, that he's personal, that he's present, that he's interested in you, that he stands before you, but he also stands on behalf of you. And I felt like you needed to know this morning that God being your judge doesn't mean that he looks upon you and frowns upon you. It doesn't mean that he's judging you. It means that he is just. It means that he will carry out justice. It means that he is for you and he is willing you to do what's right, to to journey with him even when it's tough. It means that he knows the prices that you pay and he also pays prices over and over again. It means that he has one who stands in your place for all your wrong with you, so he does not leave you. And I, I just felt this morning when I was prepping that God wanted Daniels, Dannys, Daniels to just know that. To know that God is my judge does not mean he stands over you like a headmaster, but he stands with you and he is for you. So be blessed, Danny, this morning during this message. Understand that he is for you. Jesus. I also just wanted to ask if anybody felt strongly that they disliked their name. And I know that's a brave thing, but your name has carried with it maybe some ridicule or maybe some harm. And I just want you to just raise your hand where you are, and I just want to pray. Okay. Guys, will you just stand for me? I, just, I felt like God just wanted to, to, set, to set people free today. And so, and yeah, okay, excellent. Just, just hold out your hands where you are, and I feel like God just wants to come and bring freedom He wants to restore names. He wants to say, I I speak things over you. I say things over you that are true and right and loving and kind. And I feel like he just wants to come and bring healing into your heart like an anointment. He just wants to kind of bring healing over your name. I feel like if there's been bullying associated with it, that he wants to come rush right in on that. If there's been ridicule associated with your name, he wants to rush right in on that. Just like, just like a parent does when a child falls, he wants to run straight in and help make that better. I feel like he wants to do the opposite now. He wants to remind you that you are called and you are chosen, that your name carries with it freedom, that your name doesn't need to drag around the past, that your name has a future, that right here in this room now, he wants to restore to you your name with its meaning and its calling over your life. That he wants to say enough now and draw a line and say we're moving forward today. That no longer will you shudder or think of your name as something that you kind of have to put up with. But that you will walk free today knowing this is who I am and this is what God has called me to. I pray you would physically experience his healing balm just coming on you. 
and just bringing healing to your heart and to your mind. He is capable and able to do that in an instant. Something that you've carried around for years, he is able to deal with in an instant. And so I pray he would restore to you your name and your namesake, Jesus. Jesus, amen, amen. Carry, carry on listening through the sermon and just allow God to bring healing. I want to read from the book of Daniel and I want to stir us and challenge us. My question today is who will train the lion tamers? So who will train the Daniels and the Daniels? Daniel was a Jew. He was the son of a king or a nobleman. He was young, probably early teens when his story began in the Bible. He was about 80 years old in the lion's den. And I know some of us find that shocking because actually in all kids' stories books, Daniel in the lion's den is a young man usually with a mane of hair and very looking, you know, pretty handsome, pretty strong, pretty striking. Daniel was 80 when he met the lions in the lion's den. It probably doesn't make for great storybooks to kind of draw an elderly man. It probably doesn't look great either in the lion's den. But Daniel was in his 80s when he met the lion in the den. So the book of Daniel spans his entire life and ministry. So when I read the book of Daniel, sometimes I think, oh, it's just talking about him when he was a young man. It actually spans nearly 80 years of faithfully going after Jesus, believing God, believing his promises. It's an amazing book. He served, he was captive in a foreign land and he served under four kings for 70 years. He was known by Jesus later on in the New Testament. It says that, that Daniel was known by Jesus. He was faithful to God his whole life. He's one of those Old Testament characters where you read it and think it's difficult to find much fault, a bit like a Joseph, where you read it and go, my gosh, like this man just faithfully went after Jesus again and again and again and hit his 80s still following Jesus. That for me is my prayer, that I go into my 80s, my 90s still following Jesus, still loving Jesus. He was part of the royal line of David from the tribe of Judah. Who does that sound like? So it's from the royal line of David, part of the tribe of Judah, much like are Jesus. He had dreams and visions, and he interpreted dreams and visions. And on a, on a high level, the kids and the youth are out this morning reading the story where the hand writes on the wall. If you haven't read the book of Daniel, please read it. It is, it is beautiful and slightly crazy. It will upend your sense of how God can speak and what he can do. The story is of this kind of severed hand that just kind of appears and starts writing on the wall. It's a great story and God speaks in all kinds of ways. So he was a prophet. He made throughout his life outrageous choices to put Jesus first. And those choices could have cost him his life again and again and again. He was visited by Angel Gabriel. I love that we had something on angels this morning. So Daniel was a man who heard from and saw actual angels. So 
He was promoted again and again and ended up leading at such a high level. He was an honest politician in, in Babylon. He had so much courage and he was fixed on God being his only way. It was like it's you or nothing else, which is so exciting. My question when I've been reading through the book of Daniel is this. Who trained him when he was 4 to 14? Who trained a Daniel? Who taught him? Who invested in him? Who told him about this God that can rescue you from the lions? Who showed him how to pray? Who showed him how to fast? Who showed him how to read his Bible and come face to face with Jesus? Who corrected him? Who disciplined him? Who did that and who will do it now? That's my question. So we're going to read from Daniel 1, 8 to 16. It's a great story. The kids and youth have been learning about this story. It's brilliant. It says this, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded and said, I am afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you will eat his food and drink his wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths of your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded." Daniel spoke to the attendant who'd been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of our 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested him for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than any young man who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendants fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided uh, for the others. This is an amazing story because Daniel is, is brought in to be a wise man before the king. Before the king of Babylon, he's brought in and he's with a group of people. But he's been renamed by the king. The name's given them so that they fit in in the culture they're a part of. But he refuses to fit in. He refuses to do what the king has asked. He refuses because actually he knows that food has been offered to idols or prayed over or there's something amiss with that food. So he refuses to eat it and refuses to drink it. And he says, if you feed me fruit and veg and water, I will be, and so will my friends, as healthy as all the others. And he's not putting his faith in fruit veg because I've got to be honest if I ate fruit and veg only for 10 days I don't know necessarily that I would be looking as healthy as all the others what he's putting his faith in is he's saying I will do what's right by my God and my God will sustain me who taught him that who trained him 
to do that. If we skip forward a little bit in the book of Daniel and we go to Daniel 3, verse 16 to 18, I'm going to show you Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. So these are three of Daniel's friends who have been told at a set time to bow down and worship a statue. The statue is something the king has put in place, and he says at a set time every day, you're to bow down and worship this statue. These three guys who are friends with Daniel decide they will not do that. This is what it says. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied. Now, I really struggle with um, the name Neb. Neb like, I keep trying to get it right. So if I get this wrong, I'm sorry. Nebuchadnezzar. We do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. You see, this kind of courage, this kind of faith wasn't limited in the book of Daniel to Daniel. It is clear that his friends were like it too. It is clear that there was this little group of young men who lived with this sense of, we will do what the God of Israel has asked us to do, no matter what the cost. And inside of me, I think, who trained them? Who got them ready for that world? Who got them ready to stand before idols and say, I know what you're offering, but I'm going with God. I know what you're suggesting is better for me, right for me. The food looks better. The wine tastes better. Your, your statue looks glossy and amazing, but I am sticking with the God of Israel. I am sticking with my maker. I am sticking with him. And I look at that and think, who got those men ready? Who got them ready to be able to say that and behave like that? Who trained the lion tamers and the firefighters? Who told them that if you step into the flames, you'll not be burnt, but even if you are burnt, the God of Israel will still come through for you? Who gave them that courage, that assurance to stand in the marketplace against everything else that was thrown at them and say, no, no, no. I'm going to do what the Bible says is right, what the Bible says is true. It's an incredible courage, but I know that they didn't land in Babylon and just get that delivered in their lap in that moment. I know that men and women that speak up like that, that stand like that, have a heritage they have people who have prayed for them, invested in them, taught them. They have people who have trained them, encouraged them, called them out. They have people like you and I who've cheered them, who've gone, go on, you've got this. And then they've been sent out into a world that is full of idols and full of food and full of wine and full of things that quite frankly often in the moment taste better, feel better, sound better. That's what we want to do as a local church. When I read this, I think we want to train the lion tamers and the firefighters. We want to get them ready for a world that is going to offer them seemingly better. And we want to say, stick with Jesus because he is the best. 
He's the best way to live your life, even though what might look like what is on offer is better wine, better food, shinier toys. What we're saying is, do it God's way and you will not regret it. We must become the trainers. So when I look out of this room, I think everyone sitting here must become a trainer. And I want to help us stand up today and I want to help us get stuck in. And some of you are already stuck in. Some of you are already training. Some of you are already getting ready. But some of you feel like, I don't even know what I've got to offer. Why would someone come to me? Why would someone want my help? In fact, even as I'm speaking, some of you are thinking that. You're thinking, well, who would I train? Who would I help? I want to ask you to stand for me very quickly if you have in your home someone between 4 and 14. So I want to ask you to stand. So will you just take a look around? So this is who has in their home young men and women between the age of four and 14. So you have, an, you have potential Daniels, Daniels, you have potential lion tamers, firefighters in your home every day. Can I suggest a couple of things? Can I suggest that you teach your young men and your young women who are in your home to read their Bibles? Can I suggest that you teach them to love word? So not just sit down with them and read a Bible story because that's the Christian thing to do. That's the dumb thing to do, we read a Bible story. But you teach them to read it and get face-to-face with Jesus. I'm going to give you some pointers on how to do that. But can I suggest that by the time your kids leave your home, they know how to get face-to-face with Jesus in the Word of God. So they might leave your home not knowing how to pick up their dirty washing or find anything, find their toys, find their uniform, find anything. They might burn every meal they have, but you will tick off your list. My kid knows how to get face-to-face with Jesus in the Bible. And I'm not suggesting that's an easy task. I'm going to give you some help with how to do it, but can I suggest you do that? Can I suggest you make it your goal to teach your kids how to pray? So you don't just pray little twee prayers with them, but you teach them how to go to Jesus with their pain, with the stuff that they find so hard, with the things that are unfair, with the times that they're being bullied or they're being laughed at, or that that you teach them the place I run to is Jesus. One of the ways you'll do this is by doing it yourself. By saying, when I'm in pain, when I'm struggling, this is where I go. So you will show them by going there yourselves. But can I also suggest that you show them how to get there? That by the time your kids leave your home, you can say, tick, they know how to access Jesus. They know that they're in tr- if they're in trouble, where to go. They know that when they're elated and so happy and overjoyed, they know who to thank for that. They know that if someone's hurt or in trouble, they can access a mighty God. They know where to get healing from, help from, identity from. They know where to go. And I'm going to help you with a bit of how to do that. But you have 
in your home potential lion tamers and firefighters. And if you train them and get them ready, when the lions come and the fire comes, they will know what to do. I would say do not give up on this. Don't think, oh man, this is so tedious, such hard work. Don't give up on it. Because you want your young men and women to hit 80 and be able to face the lions and still say, my God is able. So keep plugging away at this. We have some evenings where I think angels visit us. And I've got to be honest, we have some evenings where it looks like the other side visit us. We have some times where I have to give time out during praying and reading the Bible because no one is listening to anything I say. We have times when we fight over who's going to pray first, who prayed the best prayer, grabbing things, throwing things. We have times that look like a circus and we have times that look amazing as well. Those are less, I have to be honest. It more looks like a circus, but we are going to keep going because I want to train lion tamers and firefighters. I don't just want to train them to do the right thing and come to church. Please have a seat. Please could you stand for me if you have become a Christian in the last eight years? Oh, look at you beautifuls. Look at you beautifuls. Thank you. I know we've got some out in kids' work as well, so I know there's a few others who could be standing here. We need to make sure that our new Christians... And I'm calling you new Christians because if you were a child and you were eight years old, you'd still be pretty new, wouldn't you? So you're not new as in you don't know how to do anything, but you're still pretty new. You haven't been doing this long. We need to make sure you guys know how to read your Bible, know how to pray out loud, know how to pray on your own, know how to fast, know how to pray in tongues, know how to do this stuff. And I'm highlighting you guys just because I want to be able to say this room over the next few years will have people after people stand up who've given their life to Jesus within the last year, within the last two years, within the last five. We celebrate and we get dead excited when these guys pray a prayer and they come down the front and they tell their stories. Then we need to get them ready Someone needs to teach you how to read your Bible and pray because you don't land on this earth as a Christian knowing how to do all of that. When I became a Christian, I did not have a clue how to read my Bible because I did not grow up in a home where there was a Bible. And so I needed someone to talk me through it, to help me. We need to make sure we're doing this. We need to pray and ask God for more of this. I want more Daves, Siobhan's, and I want more Matt's. I want more Hannah's. I want, I want more Nesses, Sam's. I want more of this. Our kids' work and youth work is full of young men and women who are giving their lives to Jesus. But I want to make sure they're ready. So in our life groups, we need to be asking, who is, who's been saved recently? Who needs help? How can I help you? So you don't arrive at a life group knowing how to pray out loud. Do you know when I became a Christian, that was the single scariest thing. I found that so scary because everybody prayed prayers that sounded like they were scripted. 
They were like incredibly eloquent. I literally thought, I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to say something heretical and someone's going to burn me at stake. That's how I felt. And I would sit there slightly panicked in life group. I don't struggle to talk to people, to talk out loud, to chat. It wasn't that. I didn't want to get it wrong. I didn't want to say something stupid or silly or I I didn't want to stumble over my words. Everybody else seemed to pray so well. I needed help. So someone met with me and just prayed with me one-on-one. And then a couple of other girls met with me and we prayed as a three. And then by the time I went to pray out loud with ten, I'd done it a few times. I'd heard it out loud. I'd, I'd had a go. We've got people sitting in our life groups who are terrified, who need some help. They need some trainers. They need some people that are going to go, come on, let me help you out with this. Let me teach you. Let me train you. Let me help you. I want to see next time I preach or in a few years' time when I say, who's been saved in the last few years? I want to see a bunch of people get up and say, me and I'm ready. I know how to read my Bible. I know how to pray. I know how to engage with God. I know what to do. I'm gone. That's what I want to see. Thank you, guys. Well done. We need to get in there with the broken and the wounded. And we need to train So sometimes God is a fair weather God. So when it's all going well and it's all right, I love him. It's so amazing. When it's tough, where is God? What's he done? Well, he's obviously rubbish. Doesn't show up for me. You see, God is God. He's the same. No matter what our circumstances look like, he's the same. He is unshakable. He's permanent. He's lasting. But we have to train people in that, and we can only do that when they're in it. Because I can say, now I can say, well, my God is is incredible. He's mighty. He's powerful. When you're in the fire, when you feel the flames. So it's said of that story that some of the guards outside of the furnace died because of the heat coming from the furnace. They weren't even in the furnace. It's then when you feel the heat It's then that you need to know what your God is like. It's then that you need training to be able to hold on. It's then that you need to be able to call verses to mind and make sure you're ready to stand there while people are being literally fried by the heat. It's then that we need to cling on and we need to train people with that. We will not change our world with Jesus if we don't train people and get them ready. We, we won't struggle, to be honest, to grow a church and to, and to fill seats. What we will struggle to do is transform the world we're a part of. What we will struggle to do is see lives impacted, altered, workplaces, communities. What we will struggle with is anything outside of there. What we will struggle with is when the hard times come. If we're not rooted in God's word, if we've not trained people to engage with him and see him. So I'm going to ask you to stand up. I'm sorry, it's a lot of standing up and sitting down, isn't it? It feels very Anglican this morning. You are very welcome. Um, So I'm going to ask you to stand up if you can say yes to this, this little statement. So you read your Bible most days. And I will not say every day because there is bound to be a day 
where you are poorly or someone else is poorly or the dog eats your Bible or something. There's bound to be a day. So you read your Bible most days. You know how to hear God when you read your Bible. It doesn't mean audible voices, but you understand when you read your Bible how to hear God. And you do most of what it says. So again, not all of it, because we're not all perfect. Could you stand if that applies to you? Yippee. Yippee, look at you lot. So you can now train someone else to do that. You can now take hold of a new Christian, someone aged between 4, 14, that kind of bracket, someone in your life group, look around for me and see if there's anyone in your life group not standing. Have a quick look. Think, oh, I could train you. I'm looking to see if there's anyone in my life group not standing. Because I could... You get up. I know you are, but you also could train. So you look around and think, who's in my life group who isn't standing? And there is no condemnation at all because we are all on different stages of our journey. What I want to do is talk to you lot standing sometimes what gets in the way is the lie in your head that you don't have anything to offer. And I know this because I know some of you, and I've heard some of you say things like, why would anyone want any time with me? And I want to shout as loudly as I can, you know how to find Jesus in the Bible. You know how to hear his voice. That's what they want. It isn't you necessarily, how you dress, what you do, what you don't do, whether you're really charismatic. You are an access point. You know how to find him. And so many people don't. So many Christians don't know how to open their Bible and find Jesus. You do. So what you hold in your hand are keys, and you can open other people's doors. You can show them how to get in. And you might not be the coolest person. You might not have the most money. You might not have the greatest clothes. It doesn't matter. You know how to get to Jesus in the Bible. And loads of Christians, new Christians, young men and women don't know how to get there. So you hold it in your hands. What I want to suggest is you find two people that you can help get into the Bible, that you can open it up for them, that you name them and you say, I'm having them. So you look around and think, people in my life group are sat, I'm having that person. You look around and think, my kid I'm having that person. And you pick two people and you say to yourself, I'm going to train them to read their Bible. And I'm going to do it like this. I'm going to get my Bible open. So this is my journaling book of Daniel that I'm going through at the moment. I'm going to open it. I'm going to show them what I do. I'm going to buy them some nice pens and I'm going to sit them next to me. I'm going to give them a couple of my nice pens. I've got a pencil case full of them. So I'm going to, I'm going to whack out one of my brightly colored pens 
I'm going to sit down with them. I'm going to show them what I do. And then I'm going to ask them to have a go. And then once they've had a few goes with me, I'm going to send them off. And I'm going to give them a couple of weeks. I'm going to say, go away, do it yourself. Come back and tell me what it was like. And then once you've heard what it was like, and they seem like they've done okay, send them again. When they've done it a couple of more weeks, bring them back and then send them off. This isn't a life sentence. This is something you can do in a couple of months. And you can get on their feet some lion tamers and some firefighters. You can get them ready and you can send them off. You can say to them, what I've done with you, now go and do it again. And you can raise up a generation. This is how we will transform a generation We won't do it by loads of fancy light shows and smoke and the experience. We will do it by teaching people how to come face to face with Jesus. We'll do it by teaching them how to pray. We'll do it by teaching them how to know that their God is real and test him. We'll teach them by showing them how to live by the word of God when the world around them is screaming, we got better food, we got better drink, we got shinier toys. We'll teach them to be men and women that hold on to this, that listen to this, that obey this, that understand this is the only way to live. It's really simple. I said this morning when I got up, I said, see, I feel like a fraud this morning. It's really simple. If we teach them to read their Bibles and pray, they will transform their world and so will we. We will see generations changed by those who've had real encounters with Jesus, understand how to read his word and apply it and pray. Those who know how to connect with the living God, those who know how to take all their problems there, all their stresses there, everything there. So I want to encourage you, if you know how to do that, find some other people that don't and show them how to. Find them in your life group, find them on a Sunday morning, find them in your home week by week, find them on the playground. They might be in other churches. I spend time with a beautiful woman. I love her. She's from another church and I'm stirring her. She wants to learn to prophesy. They don't do it so much in her church. She knows I do it, so I'm going to help her. She's having a great time. I've got the keys. I can open that up for her. You need to open this up for other people. I'm going to ask you to sit down. You're probably going to stand again, so I'll give you one last standy up. I'm going to ask you to stand. If you pray out loud, pray in tongues, fast sometimes, and know how to get face-to-face with Jesus. So please stand if that's true of you. So you pray out loud, pray in tongues, fast sometimes, and know how to get face-to-face with Jesus. You also have something that you can teach others to do. Loads of people, my, Levi said to me, will you go without food all day, mummy, on Tuesday? I said, I will. He said, won't you be hungry? I said, I will. And I love my food. Like, I will be hungry. But I want to train them. I want to teach them. I want to show them that this is one of the things we do with Jesus We pray, we fast, we read our Bibles, we do whatever he says. And we do this not out of, oh gosh, I ought to. We do this because we love him and he first loved us. We do this because we're in a relationship with him that transforms our whole being, our whole identity, our whole life. We do this because he's real and we really want to go after him.
So I want to encourage you, if you know how to do these things, look around. Who's in your life group sitting down? Have a little look. Clock their names. Think, okay, you guys. Right, you, you. Okay, I've, I've got your face. I've got your name. Offer it. Say, I know how to do that. Let me show you. Let me teach you. Come with me as I pray. Let's pray out loud together so that you can practice it, so that you don't have to do it in front of 10 people. You can start with one. You can start with me. Invite them into your prayer times. When you go to church at prayer, grab them. Say, I know you find that meeting terrifying. Come with me, sit with me, I will pray with you. In every breakdown of groups, in everything we do, I will pray with you. I will show you how to do this. Some people don't fast because they don't know how to do it. Show them. Say, I know how to fast, do it with me. Start with something small, just fast breakfast and instead pray. Let me show you how I do that. It's going to require of you a little bit of time, but not a lot. Because you are at the prayer meeting anyway. You are at life group anyway. It's going to require of you a little bit of time, but if you're clever, not a lot. And you just pull them alongside, say, I have my time with Jesus now. Come and join me. So I always make sure I'm inconveniencing them rather than me. Because I think if you want to learn, if you want to grow, come here and I'll show you. Get your Bibles out. Get your prayer journals out. Show them how you do it and give them a way to get going. And once they're going, they can have a practice at doing it lots of different ways. But get them going on how you do it. Show them how you record your prayers, how you say your prayers. Show them how you speak in tongues. Pray with them and help them speak in tongues. What I want to do today is release a bunch of people who are ready to be trainers but don't know that they are. You guys sometimes do not know that you are also already equipped and ready to be the trainers of the lion tamers and the firefighters. You already have everything you need. You know how to access God in his word. You know how to get face to face with him. The only thing holding you back now is you. And I want to encourage you to find some people to train. I particularly want to encourage you if you're standing there thinking, I don't have anything to offer. I'm not in with them. I'm not I want to encourage you and say, you have something so precious that people would literally die for it. You have a relationship with the living God who loves you and died for you. You have such freedom that others know nothing about. You have such access to him who is your father in heaven. You can go there every minute of every day. You can go there whenever you like. It is a beautiful gift. And I want us to pass it on. I want us to get serious about training the next generation, new Christians, and those sitting in our life groups who can't do this yet. I want to encourage us to not just train people for church. I want to train people who can go out there in the world and say, against all the odds... I'm going after Jesus because he is what really matters to me. Amen? Amen. We're going to worship him and we're going to focus on him and we're going to see him and meet him face to face. Please be encouraged to train some people. Get them ready.